Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. Welcome to Aim Higher, and today we are talking about your questions, randomized questions that we've received from you. They're anonymized, they're shortened. We've taken away company names. Notably, the people in this room, our company is not on this list. Nobody from our company that I know of wrote in. We took out some info that may give away a little bit more than the person wanted just to get to the question. And we are welcoming back a terrific panel to talk about these subjects. We have Tammy Spade, who is an executive in, tell us what you are. Hmm. I would say organizational dynamics, people, people relationships, and marketing, marketing. messaging. Mm -hmm. Yes, I would agree. It's a grab bag. (laughs) Yes, perfect. And Kathy King. Hello. Nice to be back. back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Want to tell us who you are? Sure. So what do I do? No, I'm uh, in product management. So I build consumer-facing products that people love to use. And they do love to use them. They love them. And we have Bart Murphy. Bart, what do you do? Uh, I play around with tech and lead tech teams. Very, very humbled to do that. Awesome. So we have quite a combination of expert voices to answer quite a random list of email questions that came in. And I'm going to start with technology, Bart. So you may be on the hook early and you haven't seen these questions. So are you sweating? I'm all right. All right. So person writes in, I'm in tech. The latest technological advancements that are revolutionizing everything like AI, blockchain, machine learning, augmented reality, not to mention new programs popping up daily. I feel like I can't keep up and I'm early in my career. What do I do to stay current? I feel like I can be irrelevant if I even take a week of vacation. I can understand that. I think that the technology spectrum is getting wider and we're expecting more deep expertise. So part of it is they're going to have to choose one of those areas. You can't be an expert in all those areas. If you want to get into machine learning and some of the more uh, basic components that would drive an AI strategy, then you need to find a job and probably focus in on that area. Uh, You know, a lot of what they talk about within technology right now is T-skilled individuals, which is basically saying you need to be really wide and you need to be fairly deep, which is difficult to do. So rather than be overwhelmed, I would pick an area and try to get to an expert level in that area. You will then find use cases that will bring you across either the technology spectrum or the business spectrum that will help broaden your skill set but you're not going to be able to get and become an expert on every single area from VR to AI to machine learning to just core development in general. They gave such a list. I thought, no, this is impossible. There's not enough time in the day, and I don't think there's a job out there. Now, I would say that if they want to generate a a cross-sectional set of skills, then look at the types of companies you're going to work at. The larger company, the more specialized you're going to be, more likely. A smaller startup, you may end up doing five or six things that you have to learn. The issue is you don't become, in some cases, a really deep expert on it. But you may be able to do enough of it for a period of time. You can start to figure out what you do like and what you do not like. But eventually, just like any other profession, whether you're in finance, whether you're in sales, you can't do every role in the organization. And I I think the same thing holds true for technology. 
which is exactly where I was going. If we broaden this question outside of technology, because it's not just a technology question, though you could definitely see how that would overwhelm you, especially if you you know prefer WordPerfect. Same remember WordPerfect. Yep. Yes. Groupwise. Right. Things change so fast. Most people wouldn't even know what that was. So if you were in marketing, if you're in product development, if you're in finance or whatever, how, how do you also keep current with all of the trends? And I know this because somebody who I know who was in finance kept reciting things and using rules that were ended in the 1970s. And so how do you keep current, keep training? What, what do you do? What's your advice? Yeah, I think it, it really, you have to take that on yourself. So you have to be curious. You have to want to learn. So once you find that area that you want to dig deep into, who's who's writing about it, who's blogging about it, who's podcasting about it, what big, maybe New York Times you follow or something, they've got an author who writes about it, that sort of thing. Anyway, find those experts and do your own research. And don't expect to just do it during the nine to five. I think it's it's got to be a passion that you follow in the evenings, on the weekends, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think you can also look inside your organization, particularly if you're in a bigger company. And what Bart said resonated with me. I remember being at a point in my career where I was at a great big company and very vertical, specialized. I knew to move forward, I needed to get more generalist experience. So I left a big company, went to a smaller one where I had the whole kind of gamut. But I think at any point you can look outside at all of those sources Kathy mentioned. You can also ask for expertise and learning inside. And it can be, you know, lots of companies have contractual relationships with like a LinkedIn learning, for example, that has a bevy of options and choices. Some are down the technical path, some are down other paths, finance, you know, marketing, et cetera. You can learn that way. You can go to other people who are specialized in your network, in your organization. Certainly you can learn outside. You can ask to be placed on a project where you might develop certain skills. And you never know what works. I also think about mentorships. And, you know, I I remember early in my career finding out somebody overhearing very specifically the order the person put in at a specialized coffee shop. And I wanted a relationship, went to that coffee place, bought that specific coffee, walked over to that office, said, don't want to interrupt Mr. So-and-so schedule, but would you please deliver this to him? Blah, blah, blah. Boom. The next thing you know, do I get a meeting and a lunch and a, a mentor relationship? Absolutely. Was I doing it in a manipulative way? No. I was simply being nice because I was at that coffee shop and I thought, oh, I remember this. And did I want a relationship? Yes. Do I think I would have had one anyway? Yes. But it was enough that it just created a positivity of saying, wow, you remembered exactly what I ordered and you took the time to do that. Obviously, it wasn't whatever, $5 for the coffee. But you you ask somebody for coffee, you're going to end up with getting a lot of information that will help you stay current and open up opportunities. So I want to, and I love the rest of that conversation, including Kathy, you, you started by saying, take it on yourself. It is not somebody else's job. So many people say, my manager hasn't developed to me. Well, who is going to care about that, right? It is about taking it on yourself. And you said to have passion and you should do it. Well, I want to move to another question, totally different area. This person writes, I struggle with managing a team that is mostly remote. Communication strategies, project management, performance metrics. How do I know who's working and who isn't? How do I manage each person individually, but also somehow build a unit and a team? 
What are the tips? Now, that's a massive question, I think. There's a lot to that. What are some of the ways you would manage a team that is remote? The person is a new manager, too, so struggling. You could probably figure that out from the question. If you can, if there's a budget to do this, if it's possible, arrange an in-person meeting. Because once you have a foundation of connection in person, you can withdraw sort of from that account over time. If that's not possible, it's not a budget reality, it's just not going to work, then I think you have to try and get to know people across a screen individually. What is their life like? What are they passionate about? What are their career goals? Not just about the transaction of the work, but who they are and who you are. So you're trying to make that personal connection. I think one-on-ones are really important for that, especially as a new manager, you can take for granted a one-on-one and say, oh, I've got so much to do, that one-on-one can wait. But I really think those are the most important meetings of your week is to make those connections. How are people feeling? How are they doing? And then kind of how's the work going? I believe that's important. No doubt. I mean, you got to have a relationship with the folks that you manage, and that takes time to build that trust over over a period of time, particularly as a new manager. But it's also, you know, what was mentioned in there is how do I know if they're working? How to, Some of that seems to be on the wrong sort of frequency from my perspective. It's more about what are the outcomes of the team and how are we holding each other accountable to those outcomes? How do we measure those in an interval that's not so long out that we don't know whether we're doing good work or not? So a lot of it is around the work model in which they engage as a team. And some of that has to be, one, discussed, agreed upon within the team. Some of it has to be led from a management perspective. Particularly in tech, there's a lot of different ways that we can determine how we're getting features done, what's the quality of those features, what's our velocity. There's a lot of terminology that comes into play, but then we have to figure out how do we hold each other accountable as a team for getting that production done. Ultimately, our goal is to either support, enhance, or extend our products, particularly within tech, or help our internal business partners perform functions that keep the business running. So there are tangible ways to do it. So how have they distilled that down as a manager to make it effective for that team? That takes work, and sometimes people feel overwhelmed by it. But you do that, you put it into small enough uh, chunks and you start to measure it, you'll, you'll be surprised at how well you'll be able to understand how well your team is performing versus is my team working? The, you know, the output is a result of the work. Bart, I like that you picked up on that and I like the way you described it as they're on the wrong frequency because I picked up on something in the question that made me think, you know, when you're an individual contributor and I control my day and I do each one of these things and I control the checklist, Now I'm managing a team and I don't do any of that. I can't control their checklists. I don't know exactly. And it seemed to be that kind of nervousness and that realization, no, this is actually a different lane. It's a different frequency. It's a different skill set and it's a different muscle. And once you build that, you will see that it's just a completely different world. And so if you want to go down that path of making sure they do all the work, you're going to be called what we say is a micromanager. And usually when people say you're a micromanager, that is not a good thing. In my experience, nobody's ever said, 
I love it. I'm being micromanaged. Don't it's fabulous. I've never heard that yeah. actually, but somebody out there might. Only really Drew, love it. I think Drew. Drew's not yes. here, so he <laughs> loves to be micromanaged. Yep. Drew really does, and you know, it goes back <laughs> to the first question where the person said you can be irrelevant if you even take a week oh, of vacation. No. So, you know, so <laughs> we're trying to maintain his relevance by bringing him up, <laughs> by, but by you mentioning know, him. That, yeah, there you go. It's, I hope he it's feels this. it. Well, th- th- this particular question is nearly verbatim from the email, and I picked it specifically knowing the guests that are here because it has a little technology product strategy kind of all mixed in. And it's this one's kind of, whoa. All right. I'm the lead on a major new project called Digital Transformation. We've all seen these, by the way, digital transformation, books on it. People say this, we can help you with this, et cetera. So I'm the lead on it. The CFO just told me, well, really almost nothing, and says it's up to me to find ways to transform the company and save money. I have no idea where to start. But then the head of sales runs into me and said he was looking forward to the new revenues we will generate from the digital transformation. I don't even have a clue what the goal is here, and I have no idea where to start. What do I do? First of all, uh, wow. I'd be excited. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're getting tapped yes. at an organization that is clearly looking for change. And if it's that undefined, my guess is it's very early on in that discussion. So part of it is to now start doing your homework to figure out what does a digital transformation mean at that organization? What's the current state? What's the level of maturity? Uh, Obviously, you mentioned just a few outcomes they're looking for, cost efficiency, some level of automation, certainly some ability to produce product potentially for some revenue generation that's maybe outside of their current uh, set of, of offerings out in the market. So there seems to be a lot of work that needs to be done and a lot of, uh, collaboration that would need to occur with management, but I would be excited for an opportunity like that and have been tapped for that in the past. So one is not to have the fear, but to go and start doing your homework. Yes, same. I've also worked on similar projects. Very exciting. I think probably if you ask the management team, everybody has an idea as to what that project is, and it's different from manager to manager on that team. So the homework could look like sitting down one-on-one and discussing, what do you think this project should do? What's working? What's not working? Start to get an idea of what this project should be so that you can share that back with a group of stakeholders to get alignment. I don't know. Excitement didn't come up for me in quite the same way as it did the rest of the panel. <laughs> no, my, I don't put me in that. I wasn't excited. My um, blood pressure started to, you know, my heart started to race a little bit. For me, it would be scope. If I were in their shoes, I would want to identify scope. What are we talking about here? What would success look like? What are we really trying to achieve? Otherwise, you may go down the path, create something. Everyone else around you says, well, that's not what we were looking for. I think there's defin- there's a definition and a scoping phase that whoever is in this role would need to go through, in addition to learning and discovery and getting excited about it. Yeah, as I was reflecting on it, I would reflect similar themes to all of you. I I thought the first thing you need is to go for clarity. The second is discovery. What is that process of who's looking for what, what are we doing, et cetera. But I would broaden that discovery to a, a third component, which is education, both educating yourself and educating those people in terms of what it even means. Assessment, I think, Bart, you were talking about kind of just where are we? 
and then outcomes. What are we looking for? Because if you have one thinking you're going to solve a sales problem, another thinking you're going to solve a bottom line problem, Mm -hmm. somebody else thinking you're going to do something completely different, you don't want to be on the hook for all of those things. Also, make sure you're not a scapegoat being set up to, uh, you know, be blamed for all the problems because, well, we would have hit our quota if the digital transformation person would have done it. And then lastly, I would agree on a timeline and project definition and uh, some action plans to get going. So I think it reflects exactly what you said. I want to move to another question. It's also tech related. I picked some more tech questions because we have Bart with us, but this also weighs in on all areas. But this one in particular, I'm at a very small firm and in charge of tech. So you, you get that picture. And then there's a list, malware, phishing, all of these awful things. Is that a technical term, awful things? It is now. Yeah. I'm especially worried about ransomware. What are some of the best ways to keep employees from cyber attacks? Before you say hire an army of experts that that are expensive, this firm is barely able to even keep me on board. We can't afford to do what the big guns do. What do I do? Well, I mean, first of all, you're never going to be able to fully stop every employee. There's certainly education, and that is not expensive to do. Uh, You can do phishing tests. You can educate your staff, especially depending on the size of the firm. It sounds like this individual could go around just as we do and educate them on, you know, how those types of attacks occur and what they need to be looking for. Certainly they can afford if they're uh, in business, you know, having the appropriate malware protection, the appropriate encryption, those. One of the things that if I was at a small firm that I think a lot of places have a very lack of investment is on truly how are they doing their backups and what that process looks like and what's their recovery. The only way to really respond to a ransomware attack is to not have to respond to a ransomware attack when it occurs. And what that means is that you're actually going from a restored backup that's you know, from a, an appropriate amount of time for recovery and restoring because going and trying to pay someone for a ransomware attack. So now that does cost money, but I wouldn't see any company in today's day and age not see the value in looking at something that is done in a very robust way. And these solutions are becoming, you know, cheaper and cheaper, uh, more and more effective on the data management side. So I'd be looking very strongly on my ability to recover from an event because the likelihood, especially in a small to medium-sized company, of you having that type of event is much higher than it is in a large company that has more controls, maybe more budget. So look at the big risk. Your biggest risk in that situation is not somebody's equipment getting impacted maybe for a day. It is your data being locked and being encrypted by a bad actor. And your ability to then recover from that is paramount uh, to be able to respond. I hope the person listens and rewinds and hears that a few times because you went through that methodically and there's a lot of great information. On the education side, too, there's so much out there on the web, videos, uh, tutorials, et cetera. There's so many books on the subject that you can just get into and immerse yourself in learning about all of these areas. And if you don't have much money and you're in a small firm and you're really trying to stretch your budget, there's this amazing resource out there called the library that you can go to. And there's also a new app, I think, for people to find materials in their library. Isn't there, Kathy? Have you heard of something? What is that called? I think I have heard of it. (laughs) It's called WorldCat Find. You can find it in Apple and Google stores. 
And so you can type in a subject and find books relevant find to books. you yep. in a library close to you. So That's right. Uh, it's a great resource for continuing education. It is uh, developed by the company that we're at, OCLC, so shameless plug, but it's not a moneymaker. It's just truly to promote libraries. I want to broaden that out, though. It's not really just about tech and malware and phishing and all of these cyber attacks. What they're really saying is we're at a real small firm and we're stretched. What do we do? Because that's a different pressure. Tammy, in an earlier question, you referenced how you were specialist and then you switched and became a generalist and you're kind of forced to do that. Bart, you said the same thing, Kathy. You know, they're talking about a lot of balancing. I imagine that this tech person's feeling that, but that's probably not the only person feeling that. It's really hard sometimes to stretch yourself and do all things for all people. So we would all agree that's common advice across. Any other tips you would have to stay broad and also be narrow? Yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't thought about this until Bart was speaking. It almost sounds a little bit like insurance. You know, I could drive my car without insurance, but... If I do, I'm taking a big risk, and that risk could be significant in terms of a financial loss. Can I stop sounds... the episode for a second? Yeah. I've seen you drive, Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a significant risk. Okay, well, all of, all of the control I have in life goes out the window when I'm driving. <laughs> you're, you're a safe driver. You're just a fast I'm driver. I'm safe, but I am fast. That's you're, right. You're very careful. It's just about getting from point A to point B as quickly as, as possible. Quickly. It's very efficient. Yes. At any rate, though, I think it is vital to do that. And you also have to know where your resources are. I remember being in that situation. I had responsibility for things that I had no experience in, but I had some resources around me who were specialists in that, not in that company, but people I'd worked with before. So I would call them and ask them for a little bit of information. I had you know, good relationships that I'd carried with me. Maybe they would refer me even to a local nonprofit who did work in this area. There are tech startups and tech nonprofits, labs, that kind of thing, where you might be able to get some assistance at a fairly low cost. I want to move to one last question. It's a completely different area, but I just pulling it from the email bag. It says, I heard the Inky Johnson episode and was so motivated to stay motivated. But how do you do that? How do you keep that type of motivation going? And I thought, well, that's a really good question. So listen to Inky. I'm fired up. I'm motivated. He just, you know, he's a, just a big powerhouse of energy. And it really got me going for an hour. Now, how do I keep going week two? What are your tips to stay motivated in the longer term? So I'm training for a half marathon. And this comes up a lot. How do I stay motivated to do the runs week to week to week? <laughs> so I think sometimes it's about not necessarily motivation, but discipline. So you're not always going to be motivated, but you have to be disciplined. And if you have a goal, kind of marching towards that goal takes discipline. I mean, as you know, from, from sports and, and just the background there, to me, it is a lot about your mindset. And so I have two teenage daughters. I try to talk to them about mindset. It doesn't work all that great right now, but waking up and not being in a bad mood, waking up and knowing what you need to get done today, uh, even from a discipline perspective, even if you don't feel up to it, starting your day with energy, not being negative. Uh, you know, there's times that occurs, I, I understand, but I try to wake up every day and get excited about what I'm going to do for the day. That's a choice, in my opinion. Uh, and I know some folks struggle with it. I'm not trying to say that it's simply mind over matter, but in many cases, for most people, 
you can choose how you're going to interact that day for the first hour, second. I think it carries on through the day. Are you bringing energy? Are you excited about what you're getting done? Are you happy about what you do? All those things come into play, but I still think that how you approach your day is a there's a big portion of it that you have control of. And uh, I think if you can at least start with that, that gives you the better chance to try to keep that level of energy. I'm sure Icky wakes up, every day is not the best, but he's choosing to have that energy. He's choosing to be positive. And that's what I got from him. And I don't think every day is a day where it's great. It's not roses every day. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be said about how you wake up and choose to act. And I do think you can choose, and it may be time-based, so some of us may choose after we have our first cup of coffee, but you know, that you, you definitely make that choice. So yeah, choosing your mindset, important, and Kathy, discipline, I think, important. Tammy, what would you add to that list? Just stay motivated. Not a lot. I think you can choose your attitude. The other thing I might say, particularly to teenagers, is don't be led by your feelings. Don't follow your feelings, particularly feelings that are sort of high and low. And certainly there are seasons in life where tough things are happening, but who has faced many tougher things than Inky Johnson? You know, adversity sometimes builds strength in us. It refines us. And so I think being able to draw upon those things that you know give you positivity, energy, opportunity to choose, it could be physical exercise. It can be faith. It can be, you know, insights from other people who are motivational. It can be um, doing something that you feel really passionate about. I like to think about the quote Zig Ziglar said. He said, motivation is like bathing. It's why we do it often, right? Very, very important. But also as we think about staying motivated, surrounding yourself with the best people you can. It's one of the mistakes in the book is surrounding yourself with the wrong people in my book of mistakes. Les Brown says, if you run around with nine losers, soon enough, you're the 10th loser. Surrounding yourself with the right people has a huge impact on your motivation. And the beautiful thing about that is if you have a miserable, awful family, your relatives are nasty and mean, you have horrible things in the refrigerator when you wake up, everything about your day is bad. A tree falls on you when you walk outside. Who knows what happens? All these bad things are happening. You have a choice. You can discipline yourself, not only physically, but mentally. You cannot be led by your feelings, but you can surround yourself with better people. You say, well, I don't know them. Well, here's the advice. You can surround yourself with better people in a book, in a podcast, in a movie, in a video. All of these technologies now are available to you for free. And so it is amazing to see the people, and I know many of them, and myself included, have found the beginning of motivation actually started for me in a library in Bel Air, Maryland. It can start for you on a Kindle. It can start on an airplane. It can start with a conversation with somebody who just gave you that. It can start by watching a few Inky Johnson videos and getting a shot to start going but books and all of those things can really help you stay motivated, as can a fabulous podcast I've heard about that we're appreciative when people write in, ask questions, email, especially if they rate us in the podcast applications that they're using, and that is Aim Higher, because all of this is designed to surround you with ideas to get better, be better, more efficient, and for you to aim higher and go higher. So thanks for listening, and thank you for all of your email questions. 
Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre, always aim higher. Aim higher.